Hello, hello, hello. So before I go into today's episode, I am so excited to announce that I have a brand new program based off what you guys have asked for. So I'm based off what I talk about on a daily basis, based off what I do for a living, which is help females break that yo-yo dieting cycle, educate them on PMS, cravings, perimenopause, menopause, thyroid, postnatal, the pill and all those myths and breaking that side of stuff. So create a female fat loss program. This is based off exactly what you guys have messaged me over the last week or so and for a very long time, the questions, the content that I've been putting out. So I'm delighted to announce that the signups for this are now open. Signups for June are now open. So the program will run from the 27th of June, 2022 to the 7th of August, which 2022. So if you are looking for an online coach that will educate you, rather than dictate to you. If you are looking for a program, you're looking for education around how to train around your cycle, how to train around nutrition around your cycle, break away from managing those cravings, perimenopause, menopause, how to manage those certain things, and working alongside your doctor on those side of things, working with postnatal, as long as you've been signed off by your doc, we're all good there. But the whole point of this program is to give you a tailored program which will be with video demonstrations, calories and macros that will suit you and what your goal is, education and training around nutrition and your, how your body's gonna work for you. We're gonna have weekly lives as well where you guys will send in the questions and I'll answer those for you in the group. We'll, if you are training at home, we have workouts for you there. If you are training in the gym, I have workouts for you there as well. We have free recipe books, which are my fitness path friendly, so you scan the barcode on those and they enter in all the recipes and the ingredients into your my fitness path for you. And then we've got weekly check-ins via the group. This, I haven't seen anything like this ever anywhere else. I've looked and looked and looked amongst some of the biggest names and, and I don't see anything like this. So who is this for? This is someone who is looking to learn how their bodies work for them. Looking, this is for someone who is sick and tired of not seeing results. And this is for someone who is looking to build muscle, to looking to lose fat, so feel confident in their body, especially during the summer. And then we're looking to educate them around pesky cravings deal with all things menstrual health mental health and then we're also looking at kind of having a group where people like-minded people like yourself who may be listening to this maybe want to improve their the relationship with food and look for that side of things so if you're interested in this and i highly recommend doing this even to try it out so it's a six week it's the price is 149 euros so that's 149 euro and we'll go from the 27th of june 2022 to 7th of august 2022 so this is a tester group that this is the first group that i'm going to be working with on this so you guys are going to be the leaders in this. You guys are going to get the lowest price of entry for this as well. So if you're interested in this, click in the link in the write-up for the podcast or pop me a DM if you have any questions. Really super excited to see if you guys are joining. I really would encourage you to do it, not just from, from my own point of view, but I've created something here that I... I'm so proud of this. And the amount of resources and education that I've put into my own side of things and my own top of my own knowledge that I've put in over the last few years, last four and a half years of coaching women on a day-to-day basis, helping over a thousand women. I cannot tell you how proud I am of this program. So if you're interested, click the link. We can easily jump on a call if you want. If you want to pop me a DM, we can do that as well. Price is 149, starts on the 27th of June until the 7th of August. Hope to see you guys there. Hi guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh podcast. So today's episode, I'm really, really excited for because I know I've been 
thinking about reaching out for to Aiden for quite a while in relation to getting him on and when the opportunity came along to ask Aiden to come on it was it was never in doubt so today's episode is with the amazing Aiden O'Mahony so Aiden is an Irish Gaelic footballer who played for the Kerry senior GAA team or football team he has won five All-Irelands he has won two All-Stars and he is the author of an amazing book called Unbroken and I would highly recommend anyone to go and get it it was very successful when it came out and i can see why with the the honesty the honest approach the incredible stories that aiden has, has spoken about so today's episode is a is a, is is a deep episode there's a lot of thought-provoking stuff on it we talk about football we talk about how he's adapted to life after gaa we talk about what made him kind of step away from we talk about the mental health side of things we talk about the media we talk about GAA now and what can be improved where does it need to go and we talk about kind of like his family and the importance of having people around him so and how he deals with the low days so it's, a, it's an amazingly open and honest episode and I'm delighted to have had Aiden on and if you want to talk to Aiden or if you want to in relation to follow Aiden go on to AOM Fitness for his fitness page and then Aiden O'Mahony on Instagram for his for his general page so I hope you guys enjoyed the episode with Aidan Omani. I highly recommend getting his book Unbroken. I'll put the link into the show notes so you guys can click on that if you want to go get it. Highly recommend doing it. An incredible athlete, incredible man, incredible human. So thank you so much, Aidan, for coming on. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode with Aidan Omani. Aidan, how are we, sir? Very good, Shane. Nice to be Thanks so much for doing this because I know uh, we've want, I've been wanting to get you on for a while and I know there's going to be an awful lot of people listening in uh, to kind of hear your story and kind of especially the book as well unbroken is an incredible book and you should be extremely proud of yourself for that so anyone who isn't aware of your story and your background can you kind of give us a little bit of a an elevator pitch a little bit of a quick quick recap yeah i, I suppose um look my my background would be um and i suppose in terms of the book wise um i was probably someone that would have always said that there was never a book in me or why would I write a book? And then um, I went on the Camino in 2019 and I suppose no better place um, to do a bit of soul searching. I'm a doubt an ambassador for Christ. Spent seven days walking and um, when I came home, um, I met someone from Hachette and um, we just sat down and the whole idea of a book came up. And um, I suppose the one thing when you write a book, it's, it's reliving all those moments through life again. And it's a case of when you start out, you're kind of saying to yourself, what do you put in, what don't you put in? But um, I suppose COVID came along. What I found was that everything had to go into it. And what was going to take six months took nearly a year and a half, probably with the help of, I suppose, COVID and lockdown. And um, yeah, look, I suppose it's sometimes you, you probably see a sports person or a J person um, as a person inside a jersey, you don't get to see that person or the, I suppose, the real life or outside of that. Um, and there was always a perception, I know myself, that that people said, oh, he's taped off the finger. And that was the kind of personality I thought I had to live by, I suppose, on the pitch, um, whether where the book shows that I was far from it, outside of it. And uh, a lot of lessons learned from my life, um, a lot of setbacks, a lot of failures, um, a lot of adversity. Uh, and it's about... The book is about, I suppose, unbroken. It's about overcoming those things, but you're never really fixed. But um, maybe sometimes you need to get broken or to hit what I perceive as my rock bottom before you can kind of build yourself back up. 
It's interesting what you said there about kind of like you're put up on a pedestal as in like you're meant to be untouchable and you're seen as an athlete and someone who has the strong mindset and stuff. And Shane Carthy said the exact same thing when I had him on. It was like, you're almost afraid to actually talk about things that you're going to go through, that you're in kind of like this bubble almost. Um, and, you're, and you're kind of like protected from a lot of different things. But when you actually want to open up, you're actually surprised how other people on the team or in that culture are struggling as well. Did you find that yourself with kind of as soon as you opened up, there was a lot more people kind of willing to talk about that stuff? Yeah. So like, I think when I started out, things were maybe different. Um, we weren't more open. Um, I found that being part of the GA or being part of a team or group, it's like a jigsaw. You form part of that group for the the overall winning or to get to the final destination. So you're part of that. And it's, it's like being in a cocoon for nine months of the year when you're in an unbelievable feeling. Um, the training, it's at an elite level. You know, you're, you're, you're living life in the age where you train so hard and you love it. It's a selfish life because it's all about you. When you start out, it's all about you getting into that panel or getting your hand on a jersey. And then when you get in there, it's about the group. Um, so, yeah, it's like, I, I think nowadays we're very fortunate that people are more open. We've, amazing I suppose young people that are open to talk about mental health are open to talk about their problems where I'd have found that if I opened up when I started playing um, I, I would have seen myself as a weakness and that was just my own mindset um, it's like just playing this character that you bring from the pitch back into your daily life that you can't show any bit of weakness and uh, I found that I suppose when I did drop my guard excuse the pun um I found my mindset a lot in a lot better place. I found that I was probably a more likable person. Um, I was always probably from where I grew up, um, quite shy. And I kind of kept myself to myself. I still do that. <laughs> I've kind of a deep character and uh, some things don't or some characteristics don't leave you. But other times in those characteristics of being someone that's introvert. Um, can snowball into someone that doesn't deal with issues or deal with things and lets them all unravel um, to the detriment of themselves. And, you know, when, as I said, when you're someone like me that had no reason to see any weakness in myself, then it's a very dangerous road or dangerous path to go down. You, you spoke about earlier about kind of the lower point or the lowest points. Can you kind of talk about those a little bit? Like what was the lowest point that you were kind of like, hang on, I need to actually talk here or I need to kind of, this isn't right. I shouldn't be feeling like this. Yeah. So like in 2010, I think it was a, like a series of events. Obviously the the inhaler case or the failed drug test um, came along. There was a high profile case in 2006. I had the diving incident in Crow Park. And I just found even in 2009, in the couple of years running into it, um, my mindset wasn't in a great place. But as I said, you know, for me, that would have been a weakness if I walked over to someone and said, look, something's not right here. I'm not feeling well. Uh, and then 2010, I walked away from it was something that had gave me an identity, which I said myself, football was the identity that, you know, that was Aidan O'Mahony, uh, GA background. Um and I walked away from it and I found that time in life where I was at a crossroads where I could have gone down a path where I remember I found myself going out more after games and something you don't associate with an, an elite athlete is socialising more. But I found it was more of a thing that I was trying to beat myself with or bring myself down more. Um, there was no enjoyment in it. 
And I just, my mind was on overdrive, you know, even going to bed at night time, getting into the car, you know, trying to think straight. And I suppose the final straw, um, you know, about three or four days had passed and Kerry had gone uh, all with her training camp. And I, I loved those camps, you know, I, I loved the training side of it, I loved the gym side of it, the whole group and connectivity. And I made that decision to not go on it. And that was the final straw. Plus, I think sitting um, at my breakfast table one morning with my parents, my parents were elderly. They're, they were probably old school where they didn't show their emotions. And when your mom and dad are sitting down beside you crying, you know that um, you're in a hard place then where, you know, you're, you're seeing that and you're realizing that all is not well in life. And um, I suppose with the support of my family, I made a conscious decision to go into Ashiree. And uh, I suppose that, that was the beginning of something new for me where, Aidan O'Mahony was beginning to unravel. It wasn't the footballer or it wasn't the guard. It was Aidan O'Mahony, the person that was after 30 years of living, um, was starting to unravel his life and his motions and the issues and his past and stuff he didn't deal with. And uh, like <clears throat> the difference between going in and going out is like I, I this kind of picture in my mind where I'm driving up to the gates and you're seeing the dark clouds and that's what I was seeing for the years previous and um, just coming out it was like that. there's always this great saying that you know you have this thing in your mind what people think of you or what people are talking about you and that was probably the lead up to it and then coming out um, I'm, I'm not saying you don't have a care in the world but yeah. you're able to deal with it uh, Shane like and I can remember when I came out I think a week after we had a county championship game at my club and um there was a massive crowd of the game for a first round of championship and I don't think it was for the football. I think it was more or less to see what, what kind of shape the prodigal son had come back out and, and uh, who was coming back out. But uh, I can remember that game and uh, the Tuesday or Wednesday after there was a picture in the paper and um, I was after being flattened in the game and uh, flat on my backside and uh, there was a caption on the picture and it was fall and idle. And I can remember just smiling to myself saying, that's not what I'm going to leave myself to remember for. And, you know, that was the start of something new, you know, but like every person's rock bottom is different and everyone's journey is different. And um, what I learned was that for me was my rock bottom um, then. And um, I needed to deal with it because I just didn't know where life was going to go because nothing was enjoyable. Um, everything was money. And, um, it was just kind of coming and going and, just something needs to change. I can relate to it off an awful lot what you've said there about the whole thing of like caring what other people think. That was when I was at my lowest point. Like I was one week away from doing something very stupid um, in, back in 2017 after I got sick. So I can relate to that sentence. And our good friend, Brian Keane, I'd never listened to a podcast in my life. And I found Brian's and his sentence was, stop caring what other people think. I was like, right, I actually need to go and get help now. I need to go and talk to someone. And it was that that sentence just flicked me out of it. I was into the point of, I need to go and talk to someone. I need to talk to my parents about what's been going on. As you said, it's been, it's, it's like, like the only way I can describe my own thing was like, it's like a kettle that's just been brewing and then it just pops and you're like, I actually need to do something now. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, as I said, I think nowadays, I think um, younger people are more open. And um, like, as I said, I'm not a complete open book still, but yeah, yeah. Small things you take away in life, like you used to there, that sentence, just small things that I suppose get you through daily life. And 
you can kind of see the goodness in yourself, number one, but then to see the goodness in life outside of it. Um, you know, I've two little girls at home now, three and a five-year-old as well, like, and I put myself back in 2010 and look at myself now where I'm over in Manchester City in a hotel, talking to you, getting ready for exams, more stress. Um, but those small little things, Shane, you know, even just when I get landed here today, just walking down the road there to the street, someplace I haven't been before, and just taking the air and like carefree. And I'm not saying not having a care in the world, yeah. but just being able to do that, the small little things. I think that's what we need to be grateful in life, where sometimes, and this is probably the beauty of social media now, where you know, it's it's really driven and it's, it's a, a massive marketing tool for a lot of people. And sometimes we get carried away where your phone is in your hand 24-7 and you're watching what other people are doing and you're kind of saying to yourself, geez, I wish. And I've stopped that where I'm kind of saying, no, I don't need to be on social media. Yes, like with the AOM Fitness Instagram page, I type prop stuff that's current or stuff that I do in the gym myself. But apart from that, like it's kind of you need to live life. And when you were talking to your parents, I know that the generational thing is is a huge impact. Have you felt that that has brought you brought you closer together in that kind of like having that kind of open or raw conversations? Or was it kind of like has it brought you a different direction? Or what kind of how has it managed you guys with your parents? Um, like I, I suppose what they got back was their son. Um that morning at the breakfast table, they had lost their son. Yeah. Um, my parents would have been very white people. You know, I grew up in a farming background. My dad worked in Cadbury's. My mom was, raised seven kids. So as I said, they were a different generation where they didn't show their emotions. Like I know my dad, like he passed away in 2012. And, um, you know, he was like um, one of these people. He watched every game. I remember I used to come home from college or come home from work and he'd have the game on inside in the sitting room. And he'd pause it because he knew I hated watching myself. Then the minute I go back out, I'd hear the, the television back on. And, you know, he was a man of very few words, but he didn't have to talk. And I think the whole episode, I think, definitely brought us closer. Um, and, you know, as I said, like, I'm a more open person. Do I talk about my feelings with my mom now? Still no, my mom is in her 80s. Um, you know, but I just think that it's given me, I suppose, it's opened my eyes to, I suppose, the privileged position I was in growing up, being the youngest of seven kids and... What they, what they brought to me and, you know, that level of maturity and nurturing they brought, you know, back then, like, as I said, it's hard enough now to bring out two kids, never mind seven. So I think that it opens your eyes to a lot of things. Yeah, like my dad's one of nine, so I can kind of imagine the big family. Like, it, And there's also different dynamics out of every single one of them. Like you go to them for different things. That's what I can see from my dad. It's like, dad will go to the eldest one for the advice and he's the youngest. Or else I go to him for a financial advice, whatever it may be. So it's it's different dynamics. Um, you talk, you spoke about the the media, um, and you could have easily fallen back into that hole or a some sort of hole with that comment about kind of like a f- falling from grace or whatever it may be. How did you decide to use that as a fuel rather than as a curse, if you know what I mean, by that kind of those that kind of negative image up on a paper because. I can only imagine what it's like. Yeah, so I, I think in 2008, um, you know, the, the diving incident against Cork against Donegal Connor, and, you know, I guess fair backlash that time, and rightly so as well, because there's no place in sport for it, never mind GA. And then I think two months later, the whole failed drug t- testing came out, and um, I suppose what kind of 
got me down at the time was the way it was kind of brandished across the media was O'Mahony failed drug tests. Um, there weren't too, mention, too many mentions of the inhaler on the front page or, as I said, like when you're going up to a Munster and, and Munster and All Blacks rugby game and you're inside the bar before the game and next it breaks on the news that Kerry J player and I'm named um, fails drug tests. Um, the news was leaked before I had any chance to say anything myself. And I suppose it was a quiet time of the year as well, Shane, so we got plenty of media coverage. And obviously, sympathy was a short supply after the diving incident, so it kind of went for three or four months. It's probably the first time I actually fell out of love of sport because when you're an asthmatic, obviously, yeah, I knew I was going to be cleared. But, you know, I was like guilty before even being trialed on anything. And it was the first time ever. And... Um, you know, there was no real mention of, you know, that I was diagnosed with asthma when I was eight years of age and suffered badly and still have asthma. And, you know, it just didn't sit too well with me. And um, obviously didn't snowball on to two years later when I saw that media, I suppose, clip of Fallen Idol. I think my mind was just in a different place where I was able to deal with it and tease it out and say, yeah, look, there's something there you need to prove to yourself instead of the last couple of years we're trying to prove everyone else wrong. And it's a big thing in life where you need to prove it to yourself. Yeah, exactly what you said there about kind of proving it to yourself. And it's also about protecting your own your own state. And I, I, I know the jobs in newspapers is to, to kind of sell things, but do you think there's enough being done now since you've kind of stepped away with the teams and stuff like that, they're being protected from the media a little bit more or are players a little bit more reluctant to actually say anything to the media in, in a way? It kind of works both ways, Shane. I remember when I was playing, um, I never, like I didn't join social media till later in life. Um, I knew exactly what was being said in social media because I was told a lot when something happened. Um, people, are, people are amazing to tell you when there's something negative about you. <laughs> so, like, I think the way it works now is that if you have a profile out of GA or if you're trying to make a profile, Shane, you need to be current, you need to be on social media, which is a dangerous side. I found that when I was off social media or I wasn't doing openings or you weren't going to these events, there was no stick to beat you with. Or if you had a bad game, that people weren't saying, well, sure, I saw him opening X, Y and Z there last week. You know, where's his mindset? And you see that with a lot of the players, I suppose, a lot of the, the top players that um, would be doing these events. So it's kind of a tough place to be. And like, I'm all for it because... Your GA life or your sport life might be very short, so you need to make the most out of it. And, and I found that side where I had a bit of luck as well because obviously Dance of the Stars came along. So that side of it, you know, I, I had that bit of luck where you have a bit of expo- exposure to publicity. So definitely nowadays, social media and I suppose me just speaking from GA side is huge where, you know, you want players to do well out of it, you know, and... I think they have to as well. They have to build their profile in social media because you never know what's around the corner tomorrow. Your GA career could be finished and what have you ordered in. And like the, the biggest thing I always found was you'll have all the medals in the world from winning all Ireland and the accolades, but they are put away. You know, they're inside in the press or somewhere. It's the memories you make and what you make out of it yourself. The enjoyment is number one. And then it's just about memories. And I definitely, like I said that to someone before and they were like, amateur is great to not learn milk. It is. It is great. It's rewarding for the work you put in. But it's the pictures that you look back and through your phone or either you see on the wall or you walk in somewhere and there's a picture up there. There's no other medal up there. It's just a memory. Have you ever taken, I mean, do you ever take them out? 
and actually have a look and kind of say, right, I've actually achieved this, or is it a case of just the pictures are more important for you and the moments are more important to you? Um, like I'm, I'm living in Clare now, so I'm married in Clare and my mom is still living in Mount Oregon, uh, my home place. So most of them are out there, but I haven't really taken them out yet. And that's not me kind of saying, put them to one side. It's, it's, it's just who I am. It's kind of, I know they're there and I know we'll say what I've done to achieve them or how they've been achieved. But I, it's more the memories. Like I always have this kind of thing in my own mind that, You'll meet a player, whether he was number one or number 31 in the panels I've played with or in the teams I've played with, you'll always have a smile from because you know what you've gone through with them instead of walking down the street with a medal around your neck saying, look alive one there. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, yeah. it's, you're in that buzz of trying to win, win all Ireland and win a medal. It's to be all and end all. That's what you want. But you quickly realise when you finish playing that it's, it's the pictures you have and the memories you have that's the most important thing. And when you win them, are you kind of like, let's win the next one? Or are you kind of like, actually, let's enjoy this for now and make the memories with the first one or second one, whatever it may be? Or like, I know Sir Alex Ferguson was like, when he was United manager and Rio Ferdinand's openly spoken about it, it was like when they won the Champions League in 08, they were like, then let's win the next trophy. Let's, it's not even about enjoying this moment. It's like, let's win the next one. Let's rebuild the team for next season. Have you, where do you find a fall on that? Is it like taking stock and enjoying the moment or is it kind of like now the goal is ticked, let's get the next one? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing you learn in life is from failure. Um, I was looking enough to win in 2004. Amazing feeling. You can imagine the first stop was my own home club in Ratmore. So the train down, which was probably the beauty of being from Ratmore, the train always stopped in Ratmore first. So you had every player there, everyone in the management. There was no one missing like where two, two months down the line you're trying to clubs with the cup and you've only five players so everyone there the day they're there in their suit there's thousands of people from your own community that's an amazing feeling and then I remember 2005 we lost it's a lot of hurt failure hurts and I suppose that's the way it's supposed to and the only way of getting rid of that hurt is unfortunately give it to someone else in another final day of the following year or, but that hurt drives you on and I found that where like failure what you want is you lose an iron final the Tuesday morning after an iron final losing is a tough place to be. There's no one ringing you. There's no one patting you on the back. You're waiting to get back with your club. You're waiting for the two or three months to snowball very quickly that you're back training again. And then it's about like the basics. Your first thing is you're trying to get a jersey for the league. You're now trying to make a championship. And then the whole nucleus of the group have one goal and that's to win all earned. So like we won 2004, we won 06, we did back-to-back in seven. We lost in eight. And I know a lot of people say... You know, it's the ones you lost. The ones you lost, you look back and you say, you know, what if? And I was that one of those people. Um, I always look back on the ones I lost. And I was kind of saying, well, you know, you, you lose and I learn for a reason, the better team win. And that kind of settled my mind in that, you know, you, you're happy for where you've got to and what you got out of it. And as I said, for me, I suppose with the fitness side of it, I found like I loved the hard training, especially in January, running through muck, brutal weather. And I found then it was like a few years later I realised, yeah, this is good for my mental health. It was good for my mind. That's why I was enjoying it so much. It was like that induction that I needed you know, to stimulate the mind and the brain that I just knew that it, I, there was massive positives out. And that's what I took forward, I suppose, from my GA career where I brought the fitness element with me. And what do you do now to kind of find those little endorphin kicks or dopamine kicks now for yourself? 
I know you do, you're still training like a lunatic and you're still doing runs and stuff and all that kind of, but what do you kind of do to kind of find that in another way? Um, family life, we'll, we'll give that to you. Um, you know, I married to Denise and we have a three and a five row, two girls. So, um, they're a great routine to have. So you're in bed nearly every night at half nine and half five. There's no more need for alarm clocks. <laughs> uh, so like small things like that, like, as I said, no, being away now for today and now and tomorrow, you'll obviously miss the kids at home. So you kind of opens your eyes to what you're grateful for. And then like the both things for me is just training. Like I'm still playing my club. Um, I won't tell you what age I am, but I'm over the 40 mark. And uh, as I said, it's still proving something to myself. I'm enjoying it, which is the most important thing. Um, I love the training side of it. Um, I was out swimming last night. I hate the open water, but I'm still pushing myself. I want to do a triathlon this year. It's just the fear of not having my legs on the ground is, I don't know why, I think it was when I was younger, I jumped into a lake or something and got a fright. So even last night, I was out with one of the, my colleagues there, John Gilmart, and we did, I think it was 900 metres, but every time I went into the deep end, I could see myself going back. Um, and for a guy now that's been at this for a year and a half, so those things can be a buzz because there's a great challenge in them. And, you know, I suppose if life was straightforward, it would be boring. So they are the challenges that still give me a buzz. And you talk about challenges and stuff. I'm sure dancing with the stars is a challenge. Very out of your comfort zone. Like, how did that come about? And what was, was it a straightaway yes for you? Or was it kind of like, I actually need to think about this? Or was it like, right, I'm doing this for the crack? Yeah, so I, I retired in 2016. Yeah. And I just found at the time, I got a phone call from Joe O'Connor. He's in Nicest Fitness. And I was a member there at the time. And Joe had been involved in Ireland's Fitness family. And he just said to me, look, they're thinking about um, having a Kerry player uh, on Dance with the Stars. Would you have any interest? And like what, what I had envisaged in my mind, what it actually was were two different things, thank God, because if I knew exactly what it was, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I remember coming off the phone call and then I got a phone call from Adam, Adam McGarry Bourne. He was the producer and he just laid it out. He said it's 21 hours a week. Um, you know, it's going to be on the Sunday night. It's going to start in January. We had our first child, Lucia, would have been coming in March, which would be in the middle of the show if I was still to get on there. And it gave me every reason. I said to myself, why I shouldn't do it? Why it wasn't for me? You know, you're outside your comfort zone. You know, you don't belong in television. You know, you don't have a dan- dan- dancing background or an acting background. And when I put all those together, like I look back at the person I was in 2010 and says, that person wouldn't do it. Um, I was different now. And I went and did it. And then the first day I went up there, I remember getting back into the car after. I rang to me and said, oh God, what am I having to get myself into? But there was no backy out then, uh, Shane. Like it was, uh, it was full trot, and it was a brilliant experience where you had eleven people with eleven different personalities from different parts of the country coming together. It was the first show, which the unknown was great. You never knew what each week held, um, so it was totally enjoyable. And um, you know, like the winning part was ir- irrelevant because Lucia came on week nine. Um, and it was just about getting to the finish line. Then it's, it's like an all Ireland final. When you get to the final, it's just about performing to the best of your ability. And that's what it was. And, you know, it just it just closed off another chapter where it was like ticking a box of doing something on television where you would never, ever have seen yourself. Like if I rewound the clock for 20 or 25 years ago, would I have seen myself playing GA? Not a hope. The interest wasn't there. I wasn't one of these players that was going watching the great Kerry Golden Year teams. Would I have seen myself in television? Absolutely not the last person to have seen. And that's not because of doubts. That's just 
the the person I was, I would never have seen myself that forward or to set goals and stuff. So there's a lesson there for any person in life that if I could do those or even be part of something like that, then the world is the rise for a lot of definitely young people. It's uh yeah, I, I can't dance. So I think I'll save everyone from that. Um in relation to like because I know in with GA, like it's very tribal. Um, especially the kind of like the 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 town thing, then there's also the county thing. How do you deal with the actual pressure cooker itself when the big competitions, when it's coming to crunch time? How do yourself how do you kind of pull yourself to kind of like get into kind of like the the right lane, right frame of mind for either or is it more difficult to get into it for a carry or more difficult to get into for your club? Or is it just like, right, this is just this is just a job, let's get it done. Well, I found that, that when you're when you get in with your county and you get your first jersey, you, you never want to let it go. And you go from being the hunter to the hunted because everyone takes a jersey off you. When you're getting older, I found myself going back earlier every year to the gym and to running on my own so that I was ahead of the pack when we came to our pre-season. So my my off-season was my pre-season. I, I knew that mentally that I needed to be ahead of the younger lads. And then it was a case of a fight for the jersey. So like the county thing is, it's, it's an honour when you put on that jersey you represent your county. And it's not a cliche, it's that honour. And my mind was always of the, if you've every box ticked, um, you've every training session attended, I always went to training an hour early. And it weren't for physioring like that, it was just for there an hour early. It was good for my mind, just taking the kind of the scene and the atmosphere before we trained. So every box ticked, gym, nutrition, sleep, recovery. And I found the older I was getting, I said to myself, right, if I go out in a day and somebody player beats me, then so be it. You know, it's not for the case of cutting corners. I've every box ticked. It's because he was better than me. And that was the kind of the motto that I live by. And then with the club, I found the younger years when I was a carry that when you go back to your club, there's an onus on you to perform. And there's an onus on you because there's a young guy there that's trying to get into the Kerry team. And now he has a chance to mark you in a club game. So I was always weary of that, that whether we were playing county championship or county league or any game, that I always wanted to beat my men. I always wanted to beat my opponent. And at the same time, you need to be standing out for your team. And I suppose it's changed now where a lot of the county lads don't get to, to tug out for their clubs um, when they're in the in-season because of injuries and you know because the season is condensed so you don't only see them for county championship. But for us back then, it was a huge thing because when you perform at your club, um, you brought it into Kerry. And the same with Kerry, when you were performing with Kerry, you brought that level of intensity and aggression and ability back into your, your club as well. How, how did you not kind of like psych yourself out though from going into like into that bubble and that kind of mind frame of like, right, nail nutrition, nail sleep, or is that your way of kind of like controlling what you could and then the outcome will take the rest of itself, control of itself? Just routine. I remember 2014, I think I lived the year on brown bread and tuna uh, and vegetables and looking back on it. And uh, yeah, it was just like, I can remember no fizzy drinks, no potatoes, no sweets, nothing. And I felt great. And it wasn't a case of I'm missing this or I'm missing that. As I said, when you're in that bubble of trying to win an All-Iron, especially in 2014, because there was a lot of people talking about the group were in transition and we were too old. And that's adds fire to what you want. So it's very easy then to kind of set yourself up at the start of the year to go on that kind of journey where, as I said, it's, it's, it can be very selfish. You know, there's no social events. 
you know, you're trying to hide away from everyone. And I don't mean hide away from avoiding people, but you're trying to get every inch or every ounce of you to football to get to that promised land. And um, sometimes that it's, it's not that it takes energy from you. It's when you're in that group for nine months, it becomes affectionate, it becomes your family. And everything that happens outside of it, unfortunately, is nearly irrelevant because your mind is just hell-bent or driven on getting to or getting up the Hogan steps in All-Iron Final Day. How have you found the transition into kind of doing a little bit of the coaching as well from kind of going from player to doing a little bit of coaching, especially with the youngsters and stuff? Yeah, I, I think I've learned from my own career that, you know, I've been in both sides of the fence where I've been starting to 2009 from being dropped for the first time after month's final to walk away in 2010. So I'm always conscious that there's a life outside of sport and there's a life outside of GA. And I tried to bring that in first. Um, you know, even the college this year, I, I was a manager at MTU and we got to the Sigerson semi-final. And at the start of the year, I think we had five players and they just said to the lads, right, they're with our clubs, they're with the counting. Let's leave them alone until nearly Christmas time and see what comes back. And next we got a massive buy-in. But I just tried to be very open with them. Um, you know, I'd be in contact with them constantly, not play a game saying, where are you, left, right and centre? You know, there's life outside and they're two years of lockdown. So I think the biggest thing I've learned and from my coaching side of you now what I'm learning is every day is a new day and you know you never know what's going on in the person's life and you I think the biggest thing for me and hopefully I'll take it forward is that there's life outside of GA and sport especially nowadays there's so much for younger people so you need to take that on board before you start kind of putting a gun to their head saying you need to buy in here at X, Y and Z you know you need to get the balance right it's interesting to see that you're, you're you'd be quite hands on with the lads and kind of be reaching out to them, see if they're all right. I think that's probably from your own. Like, yeah, I don't think that would have maybe happened if you hadn't have had your own experience. If you know what I mean, because I've had managers before. It's kind of like they're standoffish, and there's other ones that are like arm around the shoulder, and it's probably trying to find the middle because some players react differently to different things. How have you kind of learned to adapt to different personalities in the dressing, like the ones who are quite loud and quite boisterous to the ones who just want to lace up their boots and go out and do the job. How have you found that from yourself? Yeah, like It's always going to be tough, uh, Shane, because you're going to get a group of 30 players and maybe day one, 10 of them might see something ahead. They might say, yeah, you know, we can win a Sigerson here or we can win something with the club. And then as the weeks go on, the middle 10 are kind of saying, right, you know, something's happening here. Five of them want to buy into it five and then you've maybe 10 at the back kind of saying you know this isn't for me um you know i don't feel part of it so it's trying to get that balance right where you're trying to get obviously you've ten, you've tended buying and you're trying to get the middle group up to the front group and you're trying to get half of that back group into somewhere in the middle group and near the first group so you're never going to please them all and i was one of those players as well like because every player wants to play now and especially nowadays as i said there's so much for young people there's so many sports and there's so many things happening compared to when i started out it was only football. We were dropped off football. If you wanted to play, you wanted to play. If you didn't, go way back farming or go to the bog. So some days were better in the GA pitch than not going footing turf. Um, so, yeah. So I just think you need... And you're never going to get it right. And I think the biggest thing I, I've learned is if it's about... If it was about my ego, you'd fall straight away in that, you know, I'm getting here now and I want to make a name for myself as a coach or I want to make a name for myself as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, when your ego comes into it, you're nearly destined to fail. Or if you're trying to build yourself up, just better off going, 
create an environment and seeing where you go. And that's what I, I loved about the Six this year, where the first day I think we were 66 to 1 to win it. And as someone messaged me and saying, like, he won't get past the first round, and you know, we'll have some of the players back now, you know, they'll be able to go back to carry and stuff. And I was saying to myself, right. I just left it in the hands of the players because, you know, when they go across the white line, it, it's all about the players. And I just found myself on the sideline and I remember someone saying to me after the goal again, geez, you're very mannered or you're very controlled in the sideline. And I just said, yeah, well, when I was playing, I always played in the edge. But I found now that if I'm losing my head in the line, you can't control the players or you're not a great role model for anyone that's looking out at you. So I just think those small things, but I think the biggest thing is your own ego, it's not about what you get out of it or what you win from it. It's what environment you create and what you can bring those or where you can bring those players driven by themselves. That's all you want them to do is to drive it by themselves. If you were to go back to your beginning of your career again, would you like to relive it again or are you happy and content with where it finished up? Ooh, um, <laughs> look, I suppose everyone's journey is different. Um, on the road, and you know, for a reason, um, you know, like as I said, life through a good few curveballs that I didn't deal with too well, but I was probably fast enough to come out the other side of it. Um, so would you change life? There's always certain things you change, but you know, you have to live, you need to, I suppose, address things, you need to face adversity, you know, you need to mix the good with the bad days, and I still have them, um, you know, they never leave because I think sometimes when we do these podcasts and stuff. People go away saying, geez, he has a great now, haven't you? But it, it doesn't. Like, I take every day as it comes. I've got good days, I've bad days. You know, I'm studying now at the moment and I still get stressed the night before and stuff like that. Like, so I suppose what really what I'm saying is I'm, I'm trying to live a normal life for myself in my own lane. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm just trying to keep into my own lane at the moment and try to deal with things best that I can, I suppose, at this present time. I love that. I know when you're um, on the fitness page and stuff like that, you get you you get asked an awful lot of questions, particularly from young players. It seems to be from asking for advice, and you can see that kind of like as the coach is kind of stepping up inside you. If if someone was coming, if someone was coming to you that was trying to get into a panel or into their club team or whatever it may be, and they were struggling to get their place, what advice would you give them? I think you need to persist with it because even in 1998. <laughs> I was with the minors and before the months final I broke my nose and I didn't come back for a month after and I came on for 10 minutes in the All-Ireland semi-final that was it um, under 21 which was back then the first year I was sub the first year I didn't make the panel the second year I was sub third year I was captain and then I was at a crossroads saying will I make Kerry won't I and I found it very difficult I found it very difficult the ask man it's not use it as an excuse it was just I was a lot easier to give in to the ask man back then then kind of go through where people say, right, you need to go through that kind of pain threshold of hanging in there at the start. It's like learning your, I suppose, <coughs> you're, you're, you're learning. What I found was when I started day one, the running was, I just couldn't stick with it. My mind just wanted to give in the whole time. And it's like doing your apprenticeship. You just need to hang in there. You need a bit of luck. You need someone to, I suppose, have faith in you. Like what I always found was my club managers saw something in me that I didn't see myself. And then I got a bit of look, Paddy O'Shea brought me in the first year. You know, I was on the panel and I remember sitting down the Tyrone game in the subs with Paul Galvin. And I was looking out saying, I want to be out there. 
And then my mindset changed to wanting to be out there, to being out there, and why it's great wanting to be out there, push yourself out there. And Jack O'Connor came in 2004, and I was just hell-bent on getting a jersey. The league went well for me. You know, you need a bit of luck. You need a break, and it snowballed from then. So I think the, the best advice I give on that is give it everything until someone else says to you, you know, maybe it's not for you or... You, you, you'll always make the right decision. As I said, I've made wrong and right decisions, but it'll always come back to the right one. Well, I think the biggest thing for yourself, if you, you seem to have learned from the lessons, if you know what I mean. Sometimes it's easy just to like accept things. And I, I think what Aiden has just said in relation to like, he wasn't always the first starter. I think sometimes when people see people who are at the who have been at the top of the game, who are at the top of the game, like that they've always had it easy. If you like, if you look at Aiden's career, if you look at, say, Frank Lampard's career to bring it back to soccer, like Frank was always the hardest worker. And I put Aiden in that bracket from what I can hear and what I can see. Like I didn't see what you did on a day to day basis. And most people don't see what you do on a day to day basis, but you only see the end product, if you know what I mean. In relation to your own kind of like training and nutrition around kind of like matches and stuff, what was the nutrition and stuff like that before matches for you? What advice would you give someone kind of pre matches and then kind of day of a match? 2003 and 2004 and five, the nutrition was nice starting to get goods in shape. Um, we used to love the trolley, trolley dolly going up to, to Dublin uh, in the train and all that was on it was chocolate and potatoes. So there was, and there was nothing left by the time we got to Houston. So you can imagine what the nutrition was like back then. Um, no, no, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, there's so much for players. Like, I think a lot of times, like I'm not... I don't have a background in nutrition. So when I do answer questions, it's from my own side and what I I haven't changed. I think you can get into such a structure and routine down through the years that you just bring those habits with you. And you know, they're good where I see you know, in the morning time I've porridge still and the kids have it as well. And you fruit with it and just small little things during the day. Like I work shift work, so night times are they're dangerous where you know you're after 12 o'clock and all you're thinking about is, is fast food or McDonald's is closed or you're thinking the nearest chipper after that so you're trying to make up your food and that's what I find myself I, I cook my food you know you bring it to work with you and you eat it you're trying to make up portions you're trying to bring fruit small little things Shane I just think we we go totally overboard where you know I, I'm still kind of someone that I give up chocolate there for lint and I haven't gone back in it since you know if you give me Pringles or an ice cream I'll eat if you know whether so I think small little things but look you need to enjoy life as well and everyone's different in goals and I think this is a big thing especially with social media where we're quick to comment on someone else if they're trying to build it whether it's bodybuilding or physique building yeah. I think it's amazing the goals they set and the time they print it is unreal I'm watching a lot of them now and you'll be kind of saying is it gone over the hill now for me to start doing something like that but you see the dedication the work they put in so I think it's every person to themselves and you know it just do something or fit something that suits you and that it's not time consuming because if you're trying to do something in six or eight weeks, even with nutrition or losing weight, do something that's sustainable that you're looking down. Will I do it in a year's time or will I do it in two years time or three years time? I think you're a lot better off looking at it that way. What do you think has been the biggest change since you finished up to where the sport's at now? Like the, the size of the lads, I can't get over. Oh yeah. Their conditioning is frightening. Um, I know when it started out in 2004, the gym, it was the first thing I bought into three days a week up until the week of the All-Ireland Final. I was still in the gym three days a week and I haven't stopped in that. I just love it. You know, it just gives me great enjoyment. 
compared to now the lads are, you know, their dedication. They're elite athletes without being paid. You know, the training they put in, the time they put in. Um, you know, I, I it's it's I, I don't know, like it's we'll see even with the condensed window there. I always have pity for teams that are knocked out early. You know, I suppose the great thing is they can travel to America or the world and open up to them for a summer that they might have seen before. But for the commitment levels now is, you know, it's seven days a week and it's it's your training, it's your gym, so your pitch, your gym, you have your nutrition, you have your sports psychology. You know, I've no doubt they have diaries. It's just gone to an elite level and that's the level it's at notion. I know there's this kind of thing of, well, back in our day, you know, we great crack and we're able to go for points the session, sessions after the game or harder than the sessions of training. So, no, times have changed. They're like, they are professional athletes, you know, um, you just see them in games like the contact and you know their conditioning is frightening I think it's gone too far um, do I think it's gone too far the only way we know if it's gone too far Shane is if more and more players are stepping away from it if the buy-in is too much if it's filtering down into the clubs where your lads are saying right you're only playing football you can't do anything else you know lads need to have a life outside of it I think with the con- condensed window it's good in that the GA season is shorter, but those lads have to go back to their clubs, which means they're probably keep going until October, November. So I just think there just needs to be more tweaking on it. And I think it needs to come from the players. Like the GA is is nothing without the players. I know that's kind of a broad thing to say, but think about it. If the players don't turn up, there's no games. So like it's in their hands, I suppose, what they want. And you know, I suppose it's fine for the big counties if you're contesting all Ireland finals every year. But you must think of the whole GA as a nucleus and what's best for them because, you know, we've seen from lockdown and that's only coming from me from a GA background. It's probably the same people in soccer and different sports. You know, when you didn't have it, you know, you'd miss it. And um, yeah, it's just, as I said, if it keeps going, every year you win All-Ireland, the bar is lifted and you always hear these inklings of what teams are doing. So the following year, then teams are trying to catch up and go further ahead. So like, where does it stop is the thing and, I, and I'm conscious of that myself when I'm coaching or training teams you know if you're trying to get them to the gym you're talking about twice a week yeah. if you want pitch that's five days a week and I'm firm believer then like most games and stuff should be on a Friday night where players have the weekend off but it doesn't happen you know yeah it's it's uh, it's tough and I think the other side of it is that the, the families behind it and the people around them, they also have to sacrifice as well for the individual. But it reaps rewards if trophies and stuff are won. But it's trying to find that fine line. And maybe, the pay, as you said, maybe the players need to kind of like, they don't want to rock the boat too much, though. I think that's also a massive thing. Like they don't want to kind of like, yeah, they just don't want to rock the boat too much. But um and I cannot thank you enough. I could talk all day about all this kind of stuff and the mindset side of stuff and the training and all that kind of stuff. But thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find out about the, the book and where can people uh, kind of link in with the fitness page? Yeah, so um, the book is Unbroken. I think it's in Easton's and all stores uh, online as well. Um, and my own pages are AOM Fitness. And just on that as well, Shane, I know it took me a long time to come on with you. We're both busy. But really appreciate it. As I always said, the... The great sign of any podcast is when you can sit down, um, no matter what part of the world, as in Manchester at the moment, and just feel easy. And um, you maybe feel very easy today, and especially talking about, I suppose, a lot of these things about mindsets and mental health and stuff. You know, it's it's great to talk to someone like you and just keep up the amazing work. And I see the work you do, and that's 
pure honesty from your side and that just helps people so well done to you as well thank you very much i know you've been really supportive of the page and the the, the stuff as well so thank you very much for that aiden thank you so much for coming on Pleasure, thank you